I don't know if you are familiar or not with the term bucket list. But a bucket list is all of the things that you want to do before you kick the bucket, before you die. You see, many of us want to maximize every moment of life. We don't want to miss anything. So what we do is we write out all of these lists of things that we want to do. And and often what happens is somewhere in your 40s, maybe your 50s, there's this midlife crisis where you suddenly realize, I'm not going to be around forever. That that I've spent half my life doing whatever it is, and, and maybe some things that I've missed out on. And so we start putting things in our bucket list, things that we want to experience before we die. And I brought my bucket list with me today, and and there's some things on my bucket list that might not be on your bucket list. But here's one. Ride my motorcycle through all 50 states. I would recommend you put that on your bucket list. Ride my motorcycle through Europe. Ride my motorcycle across the Great Wall of China. Well, you get the point of the things that are important to me, right? And the things that I want to do aren't necessarily the things that you want to do. Sometimes the things that we put on our bucket list are silly things, funny things, humorous things, like gluing quarters to the sidewalk and watching people try to pull them up. Sometimes they're slightly more serious, like maybe on your bucket list, you want to stay awake during Pastor Giles' sermon at least once before you die, okay? I I would put that on your bucket list. But no, seriously, sometimes it is things like that broken relationship that you have with your mom and dad, broken relationship that you have with family that needs to be restored, and and there was that fight and those things that were said, and, and yet in your heart of hearts, what's really on your list is you want to see your family restored. For some of you, it's, it's, it's challenging things, like I'd just like to know who my biological parents are. You see, we all have these things, and what I've discovered is that we tend to have multiple things on our lists. But you see, you and I are going to discover together as we continue in our series, Simplifying the Season, that there was a man named Simeon that only had one longing on his heart. You see, it wasn't something that he wanted to experience. It was someone that he wanted to experience. And once he had, he said, I'm ready to die. Because I've experienced everything that I desire to experience. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. Luke 2, 21. Eight days after, or eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given to him by the angel, even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's firstborn child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and to rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. 
And he took the child in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations and he is the glory of your people Israel. And Jesus' parents were amazed at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very own soul. You see, the reason that Simeon not only was able to simplify the season, but he was able to simplify his entire life is because he didn't fill up his bucket with a list. It was really just about one thing, and that was the Lord. You see, Simeon not only knew what he wanted for Christmas, he knew what he needed, and that was Jesus. And you and I, as we look at this passage, realize that Luke didn't just talk in chapter 2 about the birth of Christ, but the weeks after the birth of Christ. And we see at least five things that Mary and Joseph did in obedience to the Word of God. You see, they based their parenting plan on the Bible. And the very first thing that they did was that they named him Jesus. Why? Because that's what God had told them to do. Do you realize what a privilege it is for us as parents to get to pick the name of our kids? And we agonize over that sometimes. We, we stress, should it be a family name? Is it a name we like? Does it, we want it to have meaning? And so we go through this whole list of names. But ultimately, as the parents, we feel like it's our right to pick their name. Can you imagine what that was like when the angel said, here's what God wants to name his son. Parents, so often we see our kids as ours. We see Jesus here being dedicated to God. Do we realize that our kids are not our kids? They're his kids. And so often we make a parenting plan based on our wants and not God's will, not God's word. And what I love here is Mary and Joseph submitted to what God wanted. They allowed him to be the one that that made the choices for Jesus. And, and there are some things that you and I are going to have to be involved in as parents, but, but we need to understand they're God's kids and God has a plan. And our job is to help our kids figure out what is that plan that God has for you. You see, it's here that we see three ceremonies and, and all three of these involve blood. And for many of us, we just sort of skip over these because we don't see how they tie into Christmas. And the first ceremony is the ceremony of circumcision. And many of you are like, what in the world circumcision got to do with Christmas? And so we disconnect the word of God. But you see, every single Jewish male at the age of eight years old was to be circumcised. Why? It was an outward sign of what? The Abrahamic covenant. You see, God had promised this covenant, three promises to his people. And anyone that wanted to be in that covenant as a Jew had to have the outward sign of circumcision to show that they were part of the covenant of God. And there were three aspects to the Abrahamic covenant. The first was the promise of land, God's promised land for his people. And here is Jesus Christ reminding us of the promise of an inheritance that someday when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we're going to go where? We're going to go home. We're just passing through. This is not the promised land. This is not our home. Heaven is our home. And here we have Jesus pointing to that moment in life where, where Simeon says, I'm ready to die. And, and when you die, where are you going to go? 
And if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have a home, you have an inheritance, you have a promise. But you see, the second part was not just the promise of land, but that they would become a great nation. And you have to remember when this was given, Abraham was 75 years old. And from the world's perspective, it was impossible. And some of you right now, you're, you're, you're facing a crisis in your life. Maybe it's a crisis of health. Maybe it's a financial crisis. Maybe it's a crisis in your parenting, in your marriage. Maybe you've got a prodigal kid, whatever it is. And you're asking the same question that Mary asked. How? How in the world are you going to make this right, God? How in the world are you going to bring blessing out of what the, what's going on right now, which is just this heartache and pain? God's going to do it how he always does it, with a miracle. You see, Abraham was asking, God, I'm 75 years old. It's impossible for you to, to, to bring anything out of me. Mary was saying to the angel, how can it be that I could have a child? I'm a virgin. It's It's impossible. And what did God say? With God, nothing is impossible. What did Jesus say later on? With me, all things are possible. See, nothing is impossible because everything is possible with Jesus. But it wasn't just the promise of a great nation. Out of that nation would come a king and hear this baby, Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You see, the last part of the promise of the Abrahamic covenant was this, that at some point God would bless and redeem and rescue Israel. And it points to the second coming of Jesus Christ. The next ceremony that we see is this purification ceremony. Because of the blood of childbirth, Mary was now unclean and she couldn't go to the temple. And because she had a baby boy, Levitical law said that she had to wait for 40 days. If it had been a girl, it would have been 66 days. And so on the 40th day, Mary and Joseph, in obedience to the word of God, show up. And there were two sacrifices required. The burnt offering sacrifice of a young lamb of one year old without blemish. And the second, the sin sacrifice that would have been a turtle dove or a pigeon. But you notice that Mary doesn't bring a lamb. Mary brings what? Two doves. You see, it's here that you and I are giving a window into their financial situation. They were poor. And what I love here is that Mary and Joseph were poor when it came to wealth, but they were rich when it came to the Word of God. And what I want you to understand is it's not about our financial situation. God provided a way for even poor people to be obedient to His Word. Aren't you thankful that our forgiveness is not tied to our finances? That your redemption doesn't rest on your riches and your bank account because the Bible says we're all bankrupt before God. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it's only by the grace of God and it's here that we see that Jesus was the one that would pay the price. That, that Mary and Joseph weren't just the only poor people. That spiritually every one of us is bankrupt and without the grace of God we, ha- we have nothing. You see, The third ceremony here is this consecration or dedication ceremony. The firstborn son was to be brought and dedicated to the Lord. And today as parents, we dedicate our kids because it's a reminder to us that our kids are not ours, they're God's. But there was even more than that going on here because... The reason for the firstborn son, as you remember, as we go back to Egypt when Pharaoh was keeping God's people captive in slavery, 
And God did all of these plagues and miracles to bring his people out. And Pharaoh just kept hardening his heart. And so finally the angel passes over and every firstborn male dies except those that are covered by the blood. And so from that time forward, every firstborn male Jew was brought to the temple. And they were literally redeemed through a sacrifice. They were bought back from the slave market. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world. You see, Jesus Christ is the one who paid that ultimate sacrifice so that you and I could be brought back and bought back. And so often what we do with the Word of God is we just kind of read that and we just sort of pass on over. But you see here the immense fulfillment of prophecy and the pointing to who Jesus Christ was. And what you see here is is parents that chose to base their parenting plan on the Bible, on God's Word, not their wants. And if you and I as as parents, we don't have a plan that's a biblical plan, we're going to start to plant seeds into our kids that, that this is the most important thing in your life when it really isn't. And one of the things that we will do in our kids' lives, because we all carry around a bucket, is we will start to fill our kids' lives with all of our wants and our expectations and our pressures as parents. And our kids will end up dragging around that bucket full of expectations. They're not God's will. It's just our wants as parents. And we will burden them down. And some of you right now, you are dragging along expectations of parents that are no longer here. And you're trying to live it out. And you're trying to live up to some expectation because then somehow your parents will be pleased with you. And the truth is it's resentment. It's bitterness. It's anger. And you're tired of trying to live up to the wants of people instead of the will of God. You see, it's here that Simeon reminds us of three critical things. And and the first is the desire. Do you see Simeon's desire for Jesus? You see, the reason that he simplified not just this season, but every single season of his life is he said, I don't want to fill up my life with a list. I want to fill it up with the Lord. There was only one thing in Simeon's bucket, and that was Jesus. And I want to ask you today, what's filling up your bucket? Because what most of us are doing is we've, we've put a little Christ in there and then we're cramming everything else on top and we really ever get to the Lord because it's all about this list. Now we don't know a lot about Simeon. Simeon, we don't know his background. We don't know where he was from, what town he lived in for sure. We don't know his education. We don't even know his occupation. We assume that he was a priest based on the fact that he was in the temple, but the scriptures doesn't tell us that explicitly. But what we do know is the most important thing about him, and that's his heart. And the first thing that we discover about his heart is he was righteous and devout. You see, unlike the phony Pharisees, Simeon was the real deal. And here's the question for you and I today. Are we followers of Jesus Christ? Are we just frauds? Are we truly faithful men and women, or are we just trying to fake it? You see, his character affected his conduct, and his character and his conduct caused him to walk carefully, not just with God, but with his fellow men. How many of us today 
are not dealing with the character issues in our life because we're not really truly allowing Christ to change our hearts. And your belief will always affect your behavior. Your character will determine your conduct. And so what happens is we don't walk cautiously with people. We walk carelessly. And when things don't go the way that we want them to go, we get angry with people. We don't have a problem running over people. And so instead of a righteous life, we have this life where we're running over people. And I want to encourage you. What kind of character do you have? What kind of character is Christ cultivating in your heart and in your life? Second thing we see is that he wasn't just filled with the Spirit, but he walked by the Spirit. And the Spirit of God is talked about three times in three consecutive verses. And I want to remind you of that. Verse 25, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. And verse 27, the Spirit led him to the temple. When we are saved, we're sealed by the Spirit of God. And the question is this, how sensitive to the Spirit of God are we? Are you listening to the Spirit of God? And secondly, are you being led by the Spirit of God? Christmas was all about being moved by God. And as believers, we should be moved by God. We should be sensitive to his spirit where we don't just listen to his spirit, but we let his spirit lead us to where it's no longer about what do I want to do, but what is the will of God. You see, Christmas time was that time where Mary was moved to obey God. Even though it didn't make sense, she was moved to obey God. She had a choice. I can object or I can obey. Joseph, he was moved to marry Mary, even though it would potentially ruin his reputation. You see, if, if you'd have gone and polled the world, they would have said, don't obey the word of God. That's not going to go well for you. And I think many of us today, we're not being moved by God. We're being moved by all of these other voices. And I want to ask you, who are the influences in your life? Are they godly men and women? Is it the word of God? Who are the counselors that you are putting around you, the people that you're listening to and being led by? You see, it's also here that the shepherds, the shepherds were moved to leave their sheep in search of a savior. The wise men were moved to leave their country in search of Jesus Christ, the king. What is it that God's moving your heart to? And are you okay with being in step with the spirit or, or, or do you want to constantly fight God? How many of us today are sensitive to the spirit of God, therefore we submit to the spirit of God? You see, in every single one of those instances of being moved by God in the Christmas story, from a worldly perspective, it doesn't make sense. What kind of a shepherd leaves their sheep in search of a Savior? Can I ask you a question today? Do you care more about your livelihood or the Lord? Because for many of us today, we are building our trust and our dependence on our livelihood, not on the Lord. And so our jobs, not Jesus, are becoming our God. Because the truth of the matter is, when we lose that job, we go into an absolute crisis. And here's the thing, you didn't lose Jesus. And that's an indication for many of us that what we're leaning on is our livelihood, not the Lord. Can I ask you this question? What do you love more, your country or Jesus Christ? I think if some of us had been the wise men, we wouldn't have left because we love our country more than we love Christ. You see, I think the crisis of the church in America today 
is a crisis around our first love and what we're really going to spend our lives on, what we're really going to get worked up and worried over. And for many of us, we're more worked up and worried over our country than we are about sharing Christ with people that live in our country. I think for many of us today, our country has become our God. It's our idol. It's, it's what we're living for. It's what we're talking about. It's what we're trying to save. You see, America, not the Almighty, has become the God of the church in America. And I'm not saying you can't love your country. But I am saying you can't love your country more than you love Jesus Christ. You see, it's also here that we saw that Simeon was waiting. He had a heart that was willing to wait on God. And he was waiting for the redemption of Israel, the rescue of Israel. He was not relying on his righteous life. He was a righteous man, but he didn't rely on his righteousness to save. He relied on the Redeemer. And what he said is, even though I'm a righteous man, I'm not ready to die until I've seen salvation. And there are some of you today, you are resting on being good. And, and here's what's happening in your life. You've got two buckets. You've got this, this bucket of, of bad and a bucket of good. And you're hoping if you can put more in the good than in the bad, then you're going to be fine. And let me tell you, unless you're resting on God, it's not going to work. Now, I want you to see here that Simeon waited with anticipation. The Greek word there means to wait with an excitement. So that he was ready to receive Jesus when Jesus came. Can I ask you, what are you waiting with today? Many of us are waiting on God, but are we waiting with a level of excitement and anticipation? Here's what's interesting about excitement. Excitement is a blinding emotion. You can't control yourself. It takes over and it energizes your life. I raised three little kids, and I'll never forget when they were little, the night before Christmas always went like this. Close your eyes and lay still. I can't. Why? I'm so excited. About what? It's Christmas tomorrow. Yeah, but it hasn't happened yet. See, it was the anticipation of what was going to happen. And I wonder how many of us are waiting with God, waiting on God with that level of anticipation today. Now, can I tell you what was going on in the background? What was really going on in the rest of the world? This was a dark and discouraging time. These were not happy days. God had not spoken to his people for 400 years. If Simeon had been a priest, do you know how discouraging that would be? Here you are day after day serving God and God has not spoken through a prophet. God has not spoken audibly or in any other way for 400 years. That's almost twice as long as our country's been in existence. Do Do you understand how discouraging that would be? On top of that, the Romans had conquered the Jews. They were once again under captivity. Herod, the butcher of Bethlehem, was on the throne. These were dark and discouraging days. And where do we find Simeon? Excited. About what? Jesus. You see, many of us were focused on the junk today, not on Jesus. You see, I think what's happening in the church today is we're focusing on Fox News and CNN and all of the discouragement. We're listening to the media more than we are to the master. Do you know that Jesus Christ is coming back? 
Simeon was waiting for Jesus to come, the first coming, right? And he waited with a level of anticipation and excitement. Now, here's the opposite of excitement. It's called anger. Anger is a blinding emotion. Anger takes over. It causes us to do things and say things that we wouldn't normally do. And here's the question. How many of us are waiting on God with a level of excitement? And how many of us have allowed that excitement to get turned to anger? You see, for some of you, you're waiting on God to do something in your kids' lives. You're waiting on God to bring them to their senses so that they realize they're in the pig pen and they come home to Jesus. But I want to ask you, you're waiting with excitement. You see, here's what happened in Simeon's life. Every day he got up and he went and he's like, maybe today's the day that Jesus is coming. I am so excited. It could be today. And here's the thing, whether it's a mess in your marriage, whether it's a financial crisis, whether it's a health issue, whether it's something to do with your kids or something in your heart, here's the reality. You and I need to be waiting on God with a level of excitement. But here's what's happened. We've allowed that to get to turn to anger. And so now we're angry with the Almighty as we wait for him. Church, let me tell you something. Jesus is coming back. Now let me tell you something. Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, is coming back and someday every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if that doesn't get you excited, then you might want to check your salvation. Can I ask you a question? When was the last time you got out of bed and said, maybe today Jesus is coming? You know what's happened in the church? That has so been put to the back of our minds. But that should be on the forefront of the mind of every single believer. I'm looking. I'm excited. Are you living in the anticipation or in the agony? In the excitement or in the anger? Now, I know it's hard to wait. It's the hardest time of the year for little kids to have to wait for that special day when they get to open their presents, right? Sometimes for you and I, it's easier to wait than at other times. Like the criminal that was sentenced to death in the middle of winter. And the warden goes in and he says to him, what do you want for your last meal? And he says, I want a big, fat, juice, plump watermelon. And the warden goes, where am I going to find a watermelon in the middle of winter? That's okay, warden, I'm willing to wait. You see, for most of us, we see waiting as an ordeal, not a good deal. But Simeon saw waiting as a good deal. And often we see waiting on God as an absolute waste. But I'm going to tell you that that waiting on God, even if you spend your whole life like Simeon waiting, it is absolutely worth it. And what does Simeon do the moment that he sees Jesus? I'll just kind of hold back. I'll just kind of wait to a convenient time. No, the moment he sees Jesus, he's like, man, I have been waiting, and I have seen salvation. And he runs over, and he grabs this baby for Mary, and he starts to burst into song. Can you imagine what that was like for Mary? You go to the temple. Imagine if this morning you came in to worship God, and you're a mom, and you're carrying your newborn baby, right, 40 days old, and some weird old guy comes and grabs your kid and starts bursting into song. You'd be going, security, right? Do you realize how many weird things happen in Mary's life? Do you realize how many disruptions there were in Mary and Joseph's life? So now they've got to put everything on hold and travel to Bethlehem to have a baby while they're pregnant, okay? That's a major interruption in your life. And then you get there and there's no room and you're out back in some cave and you give birth and who shows up? These smelly, dirty shepherds and they're like, is Jesus, can we get a look at the baby? Can we, can we, go away you weird people, 
right? That's, that's how I would want to respond if I was Joseph. And then later, the, the wise men show up, and they, they just walk into the house with the whole entourage, and they start worshiping Jesus and giving him gifts, and you're like, knock, hello? And here's Simeon grabbing her baby and bursting into song. Can I tell you what? If you're really going to live the authentic Christian life, it will be one interruption after another interruption after another interruption. But you see, these aren't interruptions. These are people that need Jesus. These are people that want to see Jesus. And here's the thing. If you're living an authentic Christian life, people are going to see Jesus in you, and they're going to interrupt you, and they're going to come across as weird and strange. But here's the thing. They want what you have. And are you willing to allow people to interrupt your life so that they can meet Jesus? So many of us have got our calendars so full. Why? Because it's determined by our bucket list, not the Lord. Simeon bursts into song. The first line of his song is, I'm, I'm ready to die. Now, I don't know about you, but if we were going to write a popular praise song today that we hoped would, would catch on in the church, probably the first line wouldn't be, I'm ready to die. Okay? It should be. Now, why is Simeon ready to die? Because he has seen the salvation of the Lord. And he says here, I'm willing to die, which means to depart. This is the picture of a prisoner being released from prison. This is the picture of a ship being loosed from its mooring so it can set sail. It is the picture of a tent being taken down because it is no longer needed. And it is the picture of a sentry who has stood faithfully at the wall watching all night long. And now the sun is up and it's time for him to go and to sleep. And what Simeon is simply saying here is, I have been a faithful sentry, and I've watched, and now I've seen the salvation of the Lord. That's all I wanted to see. I just wanted Jesus. Can I ask you a question? Are you ready to die? I don't think we're ready to live until we're truly ready to die. And I think what most of us do is we put it all off, And then we get to that point in life where maybe at the crisis of life, we realize our lives are half over and we all of a sudden kick it into mode and we're like, man, now I've got to really live. And so we make it all about a list. That's not living. And I want to encourage you, if you really want to live, make it about the Lord. How do you know if you're ready to die? Well, let me ask you, are you saved? Have you received Jesus? There's only two options when it comes to Christmas. You either be like Herod and reject and try to remove Jesus from your life or you are like Simeon and you receive God's salvation. You see, church, we don't just have a bucket list. We also have a bucket load of sin. And here's how many of us are doing life today. We wonder why life is so incredibly complicated because we're carrying our bucket load of sin and our bucket load of lists. Our wickedness, our wants, and we're weighted down. And here's what Jesus simply says, why don't you hand that sin to me? When you and I cry out and we admit our sin before God, and let's be honest, we've all got sin, right? Big sin, small sin, it's all sin. But when, when we actually confess that sin, here's what happens. Jesus says, I'm going to trade you the sin for my salvation. And guess what? All of a sudden, the weight's gone. 
But some of you are still carrying around that sin because you've never cried out for Jesus Christ to save you. Now, there are some of you in here that you're saved, but, but your life is still chaotic because you're still carrying around all your wants. You gave up the wickedness, but not the wants. And you see, here's the reality. Jesus doesn't just want to trade our, our sin for his salvation. He wants to trade our wants for his will. It's here that Simeon reveals to you and I two things about Jesus. The first is he is the deliverer. And it says here that he came to save who? Not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. That this salvation is for all people. Church, the gospel is global. And we cannot limit it just to a region or to a country It is for all men and women. That's why through the month of December, we've asked you above and beyond your regular giving to sacrificially give to support missionaries, to be able to bless them, especially as we get to the end of the financial year and the needs that they have to be able to be on the mission field. You see, it's also why our church is allowing me to be freed up to go over to India with a group of pastors to be able to encourage pastors that are starting churches and, and are working in some very hard situations in, in March. That's why we're doing the backpack program, 10 bucks to buy a backpack so that those Indian pastors can go into that next village and they can meet the needs of families. You see, some of those kids can't go to school because they don't have any supplies. And can you imagine what that's like when the church shows up in the community? You can, because we do that. And we make a difference in those kids' lives, and all of a sudden, the community realizes how much they need the church. We all know this. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. But the gospel's global. And it is here that, that Simeon sees this incredible light for people. And he sings about that light. And I wonder if he wasn't meditating on Isaiah 9-2 where it says the people who walked in darkness had seen a great light. We know that he was a man of the word. Just about every refrain in his song is a reference to the Old Testament scripture. And he talks about the consolation of Israel. That means to be comforted. Isn't it amazing at Christmas time and during the holidays how many hurts come out in our lives? Tuesday, I'm going to be doing a funeral for a family that lost their dad just a couple days ago. Some of you, that's where you're at. Maybe this is your first holiday without that that loved one, that family member. For some of you, it might be your 10th holiday. But, But that still hurts. And you miss those people in your life, and it brings up those memories. And for some of you, they're painful memories. For some of you, there's a mess in your marriage, and it's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, and it's not. For some of you, like I mentioned, you got prodigal kids. For some of you, there's health things, and, and it always amazes me, two weeks before Thanksgiving all the way to two weeks after New Year's, my counseling load doubles, people constantly calling, here's what's not working in my life. Boy, that was well-timed, wasn't it? <laughs> I'll meet right after the service. But you see... You and I have all of these hurts, and what do we need? We need the heart of God. And it's not wrong to go to a counselor, but I want to tell you that that Scripture talks about a counselor, and, and it is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can really comfort your heart and deal with the hurts of your heart. 
You see, here's what we've done in the church today. We want Christianity to be about living this comfortable life. But Jesus didn't come so we could live a comfortable life. He came to comfort us in life. And there's a huge difference between living a comfortable life and being comforted in the midst of life. And when you and I make the goal living a comfortable life, we become complacent. But when we make the goal of our life following after the comforter of life, Jesus Christ, we become dependent on him instead of complacent. And it's here that, that Jesus reminds you, and, or, or Simeon, excuse me, reminds you and I that, that it's not just about the comfort, it's also about the conviction. Because Jesus isn't just the, the deliverer here, he is also the divider. And there are some people who are going to respond to him and some people who will reject him. Mary and Joseph marvel at Simeon's words, but Simeon reminds them that pretty soon their marveling will be turned and mixed with a little misery. That in the midst of the praise, there will be some pain. And we've bought into this prosperity gospel that if we say yes to Jesus, everything's going to be good all the time, right? How many of us have really put ourselves in the shoes of Mary and Joseph and realized how hard and painful it was to walk out the will of God? It wasn't always easy, but it was always worth it. You see, it's here that Simeon uses three symbols to remind us that there will be people who respond and people who reject. And the first is the stone. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. And some people are going to trip over him. Some because they're careless and some because they're calculated. There will be people who just live this careless life and they trip over Jesus. And some like Herod who are calculated who say, you know what, I'm not just going to reject, I'm going to try to remove Jesus. I'm going to be in direct opposition to Jesus. You're either going to build your life on the rock or you'll reject the rock. And I'm going to tell you, if you reject the rock, you will regret that rejection. But if you build your life on the rock, instead of regret, there will be rejoicing. Second, Jesus came as a sign. And as that sign, he revealed the hearts of men. Isn't it amazing just about every single time we meet Jesus, someone comes to Jesus and he reveals what's really going on in their life. The woman at the well, he reveals her real heart and her immorality and what's really going on. It's amazing in Judas's life, he reveals what's going on. The rich young ruler that comes and says, hey, I've obeyed all the commandments. And Jesus said, there's coveting in your heart. You really haven't obeyed them. Peter, you and I can go through Zacchaeus over and over and over. Jesus reveals our real heart. And we don't like that to be revealed, so it's just easier to remove Jesus than to deal with what's been revealed in our life. You see, when Jesus walked the earth, there were those that responded and those that rejected. And the same is true today. Several years ago, the American atheists went ahead and spent $25,000 to put up a billboard over a nightclub in downtown New York. And on that nightclub, there were two pictures. One was of Santa Claus and the other was of Jesus on the cross. And under Santa, it said Mary, and under Jesus, it said myth. And here was the phrase they put on there, let's keep the Mary and dump the myth. This was in Times Square. Now, if we would just move those phrases to the other caption and we could put myth under Santa, sorry about that, and we could put Mary under Jesus, then I'd be in agreement with that billboard. 
Because church, here's the reality. We don't need Santa. We need a Savior. Why? Because we've got sin, and here's what the world's doing. If we can get rid of talking about revealed sin, then we don't have to talk about the Savior. And what we're doing today is we're trying to remove that. That's a lifestyle choice. That's this, that's that, that's whatever we want to call it. But let's not call it sin because the moment we talk about sin, we got to talk about the Savior and we want to remove the Savior. So we got to remove the sin. But you remember those three ceremonies? They all involve blood. Why? How important is blood in our life? It's not just our lifeline. You see, it is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that you and I can be saved. And I don't think we talk about the blood enough in the church today. The blood of the Lamb. The blood that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Not just some of it, all of it. You see, it's also here that you and I see the sword. And this is the hard part of Christmas, that there's the cross. <laughs> and, and, it, and it throws this shadow over Christmas. And at this time, we're crowded around the cradle, and we want to talk about the cradle, and it is a time to talk about the cradle, but there's also a cross, and above the cross is a crown. And I think what the church is doing today is, is, is we just want to hang out by the cradle. We don't want to deal with the crown. We're good with the salvation, but we don't want to have to deal with the suffering. We like the praise, but we don't want to deal with the pain. And Jesus said we've got to take up our cross and follow him. And here's what's happening. We just want Christianity to be the Christmas experience, and that's it. But can I ask you, if it's just the Christmas experience and we don't have the cross, what do we have? Nothing. You see, Christ came, and we need to celebrate Christmas. But we can't disconnect it from the cross. So let me ask you, what do you fill in your bucket up with? You see, the reason that Simeon was able to live a simple life through every season of life was because he didn't fill his bucket with his wants. He filled it with God's will. He said this, God, what do you want in my bucket? You see, if you and I are going to live a simple life, here's what we have to do. And I don't know why this is so hard, but it is. It's hard for me. It's called give up your wants. But I want to do that. Because if I do that, I'll really live. I'll have experience. I'll have, really? Motorcycle ride through Europe's going to really make you come alive? That's what life is about? Skydiving? You see, here's the reality. There's nothing wrong with doing these things, but we're not going to, to somehow have lived a better life because we had a list. We'll have lived a better life because we had the Lord of life. So here's what has to happen. We've got to give up those wants and replace them with God's will. How do we know God's will? It's the word of God. And I want to ask you, have you filled your life with your wants or have you filled it with the word? Because Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You don't have to cart around your sin, your wickedness, or your wants. It's just as simple as saying, God, what is your will for my life? And I'm going to walk out your will. And at the end, you're the one that's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You lived the life that I called you to live. And you lived it to the full. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time in your word. And I pray that you would help us to be obedient to the things that you call us to do, even when they're hard. I pray in this waiting time that you would help us to wait with expectation. And God, all of us, we're waiting on something. We're waiting on a miracle. We're waiting for you to work in our families. And ultimately, we're waiting for Jesus to come back. But God, we're not just 
sitting around waiting. We're also like Simeon sharing the story through song. And I pray that the lyrics of our life will be about the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to give up our wants and to submit to your will. To get rid of all of the stuff in our life and to replace it with your son, Jesus Christ. For we pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's be dismissed.